Right. We are back. Episode seven. Yeah. Pretty cool cool topic today. Yeah, game day nutrition with one of the best in the business. I know. Game day nutrition, it's a it's a question we get asked quite a lot on social media and people sending in emails and what should I be eating the day of my event or the day of my sport? And uh, who better to discuss this topic with um, than Sally Walker? Sally is the senior dietitian at the New South Wales Institute of Sport. She's an accredited um, practicing dietitian, an advanced sports dietitian, an exercise physiologist. I think I could go, keep going all day with uh, all these qualifications. A well-respected member of the Dietitians Association of Australia and also the Sports Dietitians Australia, and also part of the Australian Olympic Dietitians team. Wow. <laughs> what, a, what, a, what a list of, uh, uh, one of the most respected people in the, of, uh, in the world of nutrition and... So what you're trying to say is if we want to know about game day nutrition, Sally's going to have the answers. <laughs> Sally's, Sally's the one with all the answers. So we'll, um, we'll get Sally up on the big screen now and um, we'll kick into it. Hey. Hey. Can you see us okay, Sally? It's probably better if you don't see any of our face. We're not we're not really pretty. So as long as everyone can see you, it's all good. Um pretty broad topic and we and we probably don't have you for that long. So um we do get this question quite a bit. Um we've we've got a bit of a, f- a focus on some core sports here at Massashi like basketball, rugby league, AFL. Um some some MMA mixed martial arts yeah. um, and soccer, so they're probably the sports that we'll be sort of concentrating on when we're when we're talking about game day nutrition. Um, I guess the the place to kick off is where does when does game day game day nutrition start? Is it the the day of the game or the event, or is it the day before? Every day they're training. Every day they're training. Every day nutrition is just a continuation of what you're doing around training. So the types of foods you're eating, what what you're familiar with, nothing should be a day of eating for competition that's any different to what you, you practice and you put into place around training. And that's what training is. You're training what sits well on your stomach and what helps you recover and what gives you enough energy to get through your training. So then as soon as you get to competition, just hit next and you continue to do the same thing. And that's a really big misconception that people need to get around when they, because it is a really common question, what do I eat on game day and what do I eat on competition day? And the the golden rule is really just never try anything new on on competition day. Um, You know, if you're eating a bowl of cereal every morning before you go out to train and then get to game day and suddenly think you need to eat bacon and egg. Um, it's not so much about the nutrition, that's about the habits and behaviours and mm. things which are surrounding that. So uh, really looking at consistency uh, with, with your training and that you're not just practising skill uh, and technique with the sports that you play, you're practising what supports that training through the food that you're eating. So it comes more about timing and planning on what you should eat for game day, not so much what should I eat. The what should be familiar. Okay. You, you see it quite a bit, actually. You see athletes try to get a bit innovative on the day and they're taking in all these 
different there could be supplements and all these different foods that, that they they've think they should be before, they've yeah. never had before and and it can actually severely affect performance so i i, I like what you said you yeah. just keep it's just another day you should treat it as just another but you can kind of understand you know like the pressure of competing and the pressure of a big game you might want to you know try something different to try and get to the next level but really that's the opposite of what you should be doing yeah exactly yeah. and look a, a lot of people um You talked about carb loading, which is which is um, which is great. You brought that up because that was sort of one of the questions that we have from somewhere here and someone here in the office that's um, actually a long distance swimmer, and they were sort of um, asking about carb loading because a, a lot of their fellow competitors and their friends are, are doing this big carb load the day before the event, um, and he was saying he gets to the sort of the day of the event, he's done this big carb load, and some days he can feel a bit sluggish. So is is there like is there a limit to this carb load, or like you said, you just you don't even need to carb load because your ta- your training is tapering off, so your nutrient demands aren't as high. Yeah, well, I mean, you do need to make sure your stores are saturated. So the, the, the term carb load might be the wrong term to use, but you do need to sort of build your stores up. Again, it depends so much on the the type of event that you've got if it's a less than 60 minute game of something that's not that high intensity you probably don't need to carb load if it's you know a three-hour swim absolutely you want to sort of load your stores up but it's a it's a finite resource the amount of carb stores you can hold on to before you need to sort of be replenishing and replacing them throughout the the event that you've got so it's not as if well if i just eat till i explode they'll do me for like the whole time because there's a limit in how much you can take on so if you were like an endurance athlete and you you were your event does take sort of two three hours maybe even longer when when does that carb load start or when do you start sort of increasing the calories to make sure make sure that your glycogen stores are are full yeah sort of and you sort of want to practice this in past competitions too, but sort of four to five days out, it will be different from people. It's different for women as opposed to men in how much carb stores they can have. Um, a point you were making before about feeling heavy is you do need to sort of make that trade-off in that if you've stored up heaps of carbs and a gram of carbohydrate holds on to three grams of fluid, so you've got an extra two kilos of body weight going into like an AFL game or into a big swim, then that's going to fatigue you sooner because you're so much heavier to mm. be able to pull your weight around. So it is quite a fine balance and needs to be individualized in the strategy um, in how much you can actually take on. So it doesn't then have detrimental performance effects because you're following you know, the textbook methods of, 
I need to eat 10 grams per kilogram of body weight because then that might cause gut issues and just feeling sluggish and really full. So, um, so you yeah, with, with, with like a little how much you can take on and that's why it's probably better to space it out over two to three days to slowly take it on rather than say the night before you have a massive bowl of pasta and you're just full of carbs and you can't sleep and hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. So you're sort of, anyway, three to five days out, incrementally increasing the carbohydrates maybe in each meal, just slowly so your body's yeah, sort it's of... it's not like it's massive carbs, carbs, carbs all the time. It might be that you have some yogurt with some muesli in it or at dinner you have an extra bread roll or potato with it. So it's sort of like a little bit extra each meal like of a carb serve. So it's slowly starting to build so you can stay on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the beauty of having sort of a longer running to, to be able to um, do that. And as far as game game day, we'll call it game day. Dieran's about to sneeze. Oh, excuse me. Got that. Um, you didn't sneeze into here, Orbo? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fine for Dieran. Yeah. Um, so game day. So you've got sports that take place basically first thing in the morning. There's a lot of sports. Surf life saving even kicks off sort of six, seven o'clock in the morning. Um, and then... Most of your adult-related um, ball sports are sort of lunchtime onwards. So on the on game day, how much does meal timing matter, and the amount that you eat matter, or is that sort of down to the individual? A lot of people, you know, ask, um, um, should I eat half an hour before? Should I eat ten yeah, minutes before? Sorry, Darren. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, I was just saying, you know, everybody's like very, very particular about how soon before activity they should eat. You know, and it's a it's a big unknown for a lot of people. Some people like. Do I eat three hours before? Do I eat 10 minutes before? You know? Yeah. Uh, people are really a bit unsure about it. And this is where coming up with some good strategies ahead of time is important to, with training and practicing what you work, like what you eat, to go, look, if I have something in my stomach two hours before I run around, I'll be sick. Or there's some athletes that could eat a whole meal and jump straight to the pool and then be fine. So everyone's so different in how they respond. So having an awareness around your training times to know what your limits are, to know, well, I have to have my last main meal three hours before we start. And there's a couple of things that a lot of people forget is when does your warm-up start? So you sort of want to work backwards from your warm-up because with some athletes, say a sprint athlete, they're only running for a minute, but then warm-ups will go for sort of 45 minutes. So that's quite a lot of energy demand there um, when they should be starting and thinking about... um, you know, free up their digestive system, things like that. So how um, how how long how long does it take to free up the digestive system? I know it's di- probably different for everyone, and d- depends yeah. on sort of different people and the and the foods that you're eating. But just as a general guideline for people, is it two hours? Is it three hours? Three to four hours. Yeah, three to four hours um, should be okay for a, a main meal. Um, and generally, working backwards from the time, I'd to say. To Sum it up as sort of a template. 24 hours from when the warm-up starts. So if you know, the warm-up starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon or that's when you need to be functioning and active. Um, 2 o'clock the day before, then you might start thinking, about, all right, I'll have an extra carb afternoon tea and some more carbs at dinner. Um, I'll have my breakfast. And then uh, I have my maybe heavy breakfast as the last main meal. And then, so two, work back from that, so 11 o'clock, I'll have something which is a bit lighter, it's not as heavy. 
Um, and when I say heavy, foods that are lower in fiber, so they don't fit in the gut, and foods that are lower in fat, because they also take a long time to break down. So you might have something like a, a yogurt or a couple of pieces of toast. So you're having uh, something to, to boost up your carbohydrate stores without sort of fill a large volume in your stomach. So if you had a game at two o'clock and you wanted an early lunch, probably actually not that great to have a big bowl of salad at 11.30 because it's just going to sit. It's that extra volume for not a lot of energy. So um, game day often doesn't have the format of a regular day of breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, and dinner. Sometimes, especially if you've got like a round robin sort of situation where you're playing multiple times, it might be a day of snacks. Mm. Um, be familiar with what those snacks are. And a lot of people, the thing that happens a lot is games that are throughout the middle of the day, um, so sort of between 11 and 3, people get really awkward of when do I have lunch? I'll just have breakfast and I won't eat, and then they don't eat anything until like 5 o'clock at night. Mm. And they're um, a write-off for the day sort of thing. So working backwards and saying, well, do I need to have an early lunch um, and a... And then go into the game. Do I need to have breakfast and a snack? Like that all is what forms your sort of nutrition plan for the day, so that you're eating sort of every get your game start time, and then sort of every three hours before that, you want to be eating something to to build up to it, and the the volume and density of the meal to go down as it gets closer to the um, competition time. So we're talking about carbohydrates, and obviously that's the main. Exactly the same as every day, and then put all these rules in. But, <laughs> I know. Um, as far as what you fill your plate with, that should be the same. Hmm. Definitely when you, your time in the field is around. That's why it's good to have a format and like a template. So then if your game starts at four, well then four o'clock's my, my, my anchor, and I'm going to base my meals backwards from that rather than have your day of when I usually eat breakfast and usually eat lunch and just hope that it fits in. Yeah, yeah. And, look, and look, if you're competing in a serious sport like the Olympics and you know what sort of time that you, you're going up, a lot of your training leading into that event would replicate the time that you're competing at as, as well. So you would get your, your body adjusted to when you're eating meals based on the time of your event. A lot of the people we talk to are just your sort of... Um, weekend warriors. Weekend warriors style, style um, people that are playing soccer or footy on the weekend and... Um, I mean, I used to see this a lot when I was playing um, rugby league. You get to the game, your teammates are there. They all straight to the canteen to get a pie or a sausage sandwich. What, the, what are the types of food that we should be eating? Um, what What are good sources of, of energy as far as carbohydrates? And also, probably secondary to that, what should we be avoiding? Yeah. Um it's again sort of similar foods that you should be eating all the time sort of healthier foods because when when activity starts blood flow moves away from the stomach so if you've had a really dense meal a meal that's heavy in fats and um volume as well so quite a big meal blood flow is moving away from the stomach so that food's just going to sit there so if you've sort of run off to play a game of soccer and you've still got food in your belly, that's going to cause stitches and discomfort and that sort of thing. So um, the, the type of foods does play a different because you sort of don't want to don't want to necessarily create that. So having foods which are 
again, carbohydrates which are lower in fiber um, leading into competition. It might be great, you know, day to day for morning tea, but having more of like a white bread sandwich with some jam on it leading into competition is actually good because it breaks down, releases the carbohydrates into the blood and it doesn't leave that sort of volume in your stomach. So, so easier to digest. That you want to eat day to day, you want whole grain, high fiber um, choices when you make them. More lower fiber options um, when you're sort of in that sort of four, five hour run into competition. And if you've got a carb load for like a three hour endurance swim, if you've got to have, you know, 600 grams carb for the day, that's actually a lot of food to eat. Like it's hard to eat. So if you have more easier to digest stuff, you get hungrier, so you want to eat more. So there's sort of strategies behind that. But, um, and that varies on person to person. And I guess, you know, from person to person, there's all these new um, dietary, um, um, I guess, requirements that everybody has now. And, you know, you've seen the emergence of a lot of new diets and um, um, behaviors that people follow, like, you know, vegan, vegetarian, gluten-free, um, keto, intermittent fasting, all these new lifestyles. Um, how, how have you seen that in some of the athletes that you work with? And what are some strategies that you've kind of been... Um, you know, yeah. using to adapt to these. You certainly can't force people to eat something if it goes against sort of moral or religious or health beliefs. So we're not there to sort of force a perfect diet, but that's why working more with just the energy systems of the body and sort of coming down to science a bit more that if you're doing a really high intensity activity, um, like sprint cycling, say, that's going to use up for, you know, protein and uh, carbohydrates um, and surface sort of blood glucose that's, that's in the system. So if you're having a high fat diet or you're fasting and there's no circulating carbohydrates there, then you do need to have that conversation to say, well, is this diet actually supporting what your training goals are? Yeah. Um, and if that's the case, then they, they want to agree to both things. That if one of them might not workers successfully so it's having that discussion to put it back on the athlete um if it's a health issue in that they're they're celiac and they can't eat certain carbohydrates then it's just still saying well your body needs carbohydrates it's just that we can't get them from these sources we'll get them from these other sources instead so it's finding alternatives within the boundaries that we've got to meet the energy demands that the system has at that time and another question Another question we get a bit is like game, game day nutrition, right? Obviously, we're using carbohydrates as our main source of energy. Do I still need to eat protein leading up into my event? That Most people are aware that after, after their game or their event, they need to consume protein for recovery. But is protein important on game day leading up to the event? Does it matter that much? Yeah. You still want them in, your, in the main meals and meals leading up to have some protein, especially depending on the nature of the sport too. If it's quite sort of high impact sport um, and there will be a lot of muscle breakdown in the, the sport, in the game, it can sort of prevent further muscle breakdown if you do have some circulating protein in the system. Um, it may cause digestive issues in that it can be harder to break down. So it mightn't be that in the, the snack immediately before competition that's where you might just get sort of a carb topper but certainly that three hours three to four hours out um 
having a snack then with some protein or having a main meal or a snack then with some protein in it would be advantageous just for um, turning muscle mass and turning protein over. It may not be building muscle mass, um, but it's more so before activity and before training, including protein in your intake, serves as sort of um, a way to preserve your muscle mass that's there. Um, more so than like build it up, which is what people think for, for afterwards. But similar with having carbohydrates, if you've got enough carbohydrate stores in prior to training uh, and prior to your competition, it's got to burn through that before it starts burning through a lot of muscle mass too. So it's going to conserve what muscle mass you've got for longer when you are well fueled. So having more carbohydrates and still some protein present is is important so they're probably the two main ones together is some protein and carbs probably more so than fats and um as far as um as far as carbohydrate sort of stores within the body i know everyone's different and each sport each sport's going to utilize um different levels um how if you've got sort of full stores of, of, of glycogen carbohydrates within the body how long is that going to last us if we're sort of playing like a game of footy or a game of soccer or something like that? Is there a certain point that we get to and we're just like, oh, I can, I can feel it. I've, I'm now switching over <laughs> to fats. Or like, is there a time that we've got out of these? Um, yeah, no, it's about 90, between 90 minutes and two hours um, that your glycogen stores are running out if you're uh, doing well sort of high to moderate intensity stuff. If you're... Um, and that's when you sort of shift to, well, if I'm going that long, my intensity is going to drop, so I'll allow more oxygen in, so then that will shift me to start burning fat stores up, so your body sort of morphs you through, hang on, these carbs are going to run out, so I need a backup plan, mm. so I can't keep going at full pelt, so I'll slow you down, so we can get some oxygen in, and we can start to utilise fats. So... If you want to maintain that high intensity, if you get sort of 60 minutes in and have some carbohydrates through a, you know, the food or beverage to, to top that up a little bit, then that means your intensity can stay higher for longer to sort of conserve that a bit. Having said that, as I mentioned before, blood flow moves away from the gut. So there's only a limited amount you can take in during competition too, which is about 60 grams of carbohydrates an hour. And then if you get a combination of glucose and fructose, then 90 grams um, an hour when you're doing sort of really long endurance events. So um, marathons and things like that to sort of keep topping up carbohydrates during. That also maintains the residual blood flow to the gut. So a lot of people, if they train really hard and then they eat, they feel really sick afterwards. That's because all the blood flow has gone away and you eat something and then it goes back and it's like warp. So... Um, it flows back in. So having some carbohydrates during training, if it's longer than, say, or sorry, competition, if it's longer than, say, an hour, will keep your intensity up, um, keep your performance up, and it will also sort of maintain that carbohydrate flow to the system rather than having nothing, being like, oh, my God, I'm going to pass out, I've given something, and then feeling sick as a result of that. And what about other macro, other, sorry, we've looked at sort of macronutrients. What about micronutrients? Is, is there any that are important on, on game day? I know a lot of endurance athletes are taking in a lot of sort of magnesium and uh, sodium, electrolytes. electrolytes. Amino acid, vitamins. Yeah. yeah. 
So uh, should they be sort of getting in or concentrating on these micronutrients as well or are they sort of taking care of in our food yeah, choices? Micronutrients are, are certainly important and it's important to have sort of magnesium electrolytes in there. There's not as much of a dose response with micronutrients. They're a bit more long-term um, build-ups as much as you've got the water-soluble ones which turn over quite regularly. Um that's why when you are eating, you want to eat well and have balanced meals, so you can keep topping up um, a lot of your nutrients. But ultimately, if you've increased your intake to meet the energy demand for the competition, you'll have exposure to those um, micronutrients in, in doing that anyway. So it does depend on the climate. If it's particularly humid, so you're sweating quite a lot, then there may be a need to increase uh, electrolytes and magnesium, things like that. Um, but that's not a blanket one. That would certainly depend on the, the individual and how they're responding and, and how they're reacting. But if you're at a point where you're flat and tired, um, a micronutrient is not going to do anything to give this extra boost than what a macronutrient And you quickly, you touched on uh, hydration there. How... Um uh, should we be increasing our sort of water intake the day before, the week of, or the day of? How, how important is hydration in, yeah, for similar, performance? It's similar to food in the same way we want to like slowly increase the amount of carbohydrates we're eating. Um, you want to do that with fluids. So you might be drinking an extra cup at different meal times or different times to drink and drinking more frequently during the day over time in that sort of two to three days lead up. Um, Again, just so you know, like drinking, 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 skull heaps of fluid to throw out your balance of fluid and electrolytes so you need to urinate a lot of it off when you're about to run out on the field. Mm. So um, you also don't want to be thinking, oh, I need to drink more. You drink a lot before bed and then you've got up and you've had to go to the toilet two or three times during the night and you've had a poor sleep and then that's going to impact performance too. So a lot of these strategies, they're... They've got to be done with caution because if done too much, then they have a can have a negative effect. So you need to sort of balance in the practicalities of life, of lifestyle, um, and how that's going to present. So it doesn't, you know, fix one problem and create another one. So um, being able to drink more frequently and more regularly, um, monitoring your urine colour to see whether you are hydrated in the morning. Um, and at the end of the day. So you've got a bit of a gauge in the days leading up. So if you've got really dark urine two days beforehand at night time, then the next day, focus on your hydration, start to get that back, have a bit of a judge to see whether your urine's clear at the end of the day, before competition day, so you know that you're sort of a bit more prepared. Makes sense. What, what should we be, I know you've got sort of general guidelines, how much water we should be taking in daily. It's, you know, it's a minimum two litres or whatever it is. But for, for athletes, people participating in sport, do they need, obviously if they're a heavy sweater, they will probably need more, more hydration, more water. Um, is, is there a, an average for athletes to aim for, to shoot for per day? Per hour, per day. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I mean, for rehydration, you want to look at 10 mils per kilogram of body weight. Um, if you are sort of finding that your urine is quite dark um, and you need to rehydrate to sort of get an amount on top of regular drinking. So there's your regular just habitual drinking. And then if you're dehydrated, to have extra on top of that. Um, 
So that extra is that 10 mils per kilogram body weight to be able to say, well, I'm definitely hydrated. If you're a heavy sweater and you've lost a lot of fluid and you just keep drinking water on top of water, it's going to be not as impactful because you're just going to wear a lot of it out because the body can't maintain that hydration and actually retain the fluid. Mm. So it just um, releases it. So that's when you would need um, some form of electrolyte or even just a salty meal, a meal that's high in sodium to be able to actually hold on to that fluid. So it's not always also just about drink more, drink more, drink more, because you might drink six litres a day, but then weep three litres of it out because the, the concentration of electrolytes and fluid in your body um, isn't at a point that it can because pe- people, you know, m- might not be aware that you also lose quite a lot of electrolytes in sweat, not just water, of course, you know. Yep. And um, I like what you said about your habitual drinking. You know, your thirst is a good regulator of, of for most people, right? Yeah. Um, so just adding, yeah. say I'm 78 kilos, 10 moles per body weight, 780 moles. That's uh, it's doable. <laughs> <laughs> Easily doable. Um, and th- this is just a question from sort of my past as well. I've... Uh, Half time in footy, soccer, whatever whatever sport it is, you, you you see a variety of different things. A lot of oranges. people, <laughs> a lot of people wheel out the oranges. I've seen jelly beans floating around. I've seen teams that just do nothing. Some baking sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> is um, it, do they the sport the event only lasts for sort of 80, 90 minutes. Do they really need anything at half time to sort of get them through the second half, or is that a bit of a myth? Uh, myth? Uh-huh. Maybe I shouldn't be so judgmental, but some I'm like, you'll be fine. Um, <laughs> be judgmental. It yeah. how, it depends how hard and high impact the sport is. Um, so yeah, your kids game of netball probably probably don't need much at halftime. Um, but the, the bigger sports like AFL, which the games can go for sort of three hours, then definitely you want to be looking at something at, at halftime. And should it be a fluid? Again, sort of more of a food product, that can be hard to actually utilise that carbohydrate because it's sitting in your stomach and it's not actually in the system. That's why things like gels are quite popular because they can be um, absorbed a lot quicker and actually be in the bloodstream to utilise the blood glucose. Things like lollies, which happens a lot, is that fiddly lollies because they like them and they're easy to eat. Because they're so high in sugar, um, and similar things like soft drinks and things like that. Yes, it's sugar, but the concentration of sugar is so high, it actually pulls fluid into the gut to dilute that sugar. So in essence, it can inhibit free hydration. Um, it may give you some, some glucose increase, but it can have um, detrimental effects, effects on your stomach function, hydration, and being able to get that um, energy that you are eating into the system. So having more formulated products which will provide a glucose as opposed to a sucrose, um, sugar, um, is more beneficial. So it's not just a matter of, oh, I have this, it's sugar, and sugar will give you energy. Um, that can actually be detrimental at that time that the body is active um, to, to be able to actually utilise that. And then things like fruits, um, oranges and things like that, even having fruit like a watermelon that's sort of lower fibre, so you wouldn't want a really high fibre fruit at half time if you were having it as a, a snack option. 
I think it's like bananas are good because they're higher in glucose, which is both glucose and things like watermelon grapes, because they've got um, not as much skin on them and they're less fiber, so they're more likely to hydrate and give some, some additional energy. That's great info. Yeah, it's not essential, and it will depend on the person. Some people sort of won't want to touch it, so they might just get um, a carbohydrate top up from a beverage um, or a sports drink. Um, whereas some people do like to, some athletes I've had, they're like, I just want to like bite down on something because you want to eat because it's yeah. sort of such a long time between meals. Yeah, bananas and oranges, pretty popular choice for, for most people. So they're not doing too bad of a job, it sounds like, but um, yeah, it's, it's individual. Yeah. What about these sports that kick off first thing in the morning? People are getting up, they're racing to the event or racing to their sport. They don't have a lot of time to eat. Uh, do we get them to eat? Do we try and get them to have uh, something? That's all part of practice as well. But like I said, it's 24 hours from the start time. So if you're starting at 7 a.m., you want to start your loading process at 7 a.m. the day before. So as opposed to starting at 2 p.m., you've had extra time in the day to increase your carbohydrate stores. You might have a big breakfast the day before. So you're putting your glycogen stores in the day before the competition and you've had that whole day to do that. Um, so then when you wake up in the morning because you've got an early competition, you may only need um, a banana and a piece of toast and something quite light just to engage those glycogen stores rather than getting up and having a full breakfast and being really full and having sort of really high fiber foods, that sort of thing. So waking up really early, it may be sort of like your pre-competition snack because the meal that you had the night before is your... Um, you know, your last meal sort of thing. Should, should that meal the night before be a... Sorry, Sally. Should that meal the night before, could you push that back to be a little bit later or does that not really matter too much? No, you can still eat at a similar time. You don't want to push it back too later so that it impacts your sleep and you can't get to sleep. Good point. So eating quite a big meal and then going to sleep, you're still on and awake because your stomach's digesting that food even though you're in bed. So it might um, impact your sleep that way. I mean, competitions that are really late in the day, so if you've got a competition that starts at 4 or 5 p.m., you may not have to cut glycogen load and carbs, like increase your carb intake the day before because you've got the whole day to prepare for it. You can have breakfast, morning tea, lunch, afternoon tea. Like, There's all these opportunities to start to load up your stores before you need to, to act. So the early morning competition I just thought of the flip side of that and you're just using the day before hmm. rather than the day off to, to increase your um, impact. It's almost like cramming for an exam, you know. Some people, like, if you're not adequately fueled, you feel like you just need to get it in before um, yeah. getting on the field. I used to pay other people to do my exams for me. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about caffeine. The ca caffeine usage amongst athletes has increased a lot over the last sort of 10 years. And, and um, look, I, I'm selective when i use caffeine be, be, before training or, or an event um but what are, what are the top athletes doing if, they, if they're a sprinter or a football player or whatever uh, is caffeine beneficial for these guys to to use before their event yeah i mean some of them have trialed it um to know when they peak it, it becomes tricky when multi-day events um, and the competitions are later at night then they can't sleep and then they have to back up again. So you do have to be mindful of um, how much that's going to impact sleeping patterns. 
um, a lot of athletes do use it because it is quite a good dose response of feeling better, but it also helps utilize carbohydrate stores as well. So it's a, it's a stimulus to feel more alert, but it does actually help access um, energy better as well. It's having enough time to let it peak at the right time. So you might have your caffeine, but it's generally not till sort of 30 to 45 minutes later that it, you're feeling the impacts of it, um, depending on the source that you have it. So if you have it in sort of more of a supplement form, um, like a tablet, that may take longer than some uh, sublingual caffeine strip or a caffeine gum, which is quite instant. So the, the way you access the caffeine will vary depending on um, have an impact on when you sort of feel the full stimulus of, of the caffeine. So say if someone in AFL, you go, oh, I'm really flat, I need a boost, I'm going to take this caffeine tablet in the last quarter, it kind of renders itself ineffective because by the time it kicks in, the game's going to be finished. So, um, yeah, understanding when, when you're going to get a peak and is there a um, is there a recommended dosage of caffeine? I know there's a lot of products out there these days that are absolutely loaded with caffeine. Um, and, pe- and people and have quite different tolerances as well. They know. do. Um, so is there a lot? If you're a habitual caffeine drinker, um, so you have coffee regularly and you have caffeine in your system quite a lot, you will need like sugar. The more sugar you have, the more sugar you want. So if you're used to caffeine you need a bigger dose to sort of really feel that impact hmm. so um if we keep sort of layering on to that and people get used to it so i've got to have more and they get used to it so i've got to have more that's when you start to really get in a risky area of having more to increase it and it may be more of a tactic to say well can you just not have any caffeine for two to three days beforehand so that when you are having that caffeine amount rather than have So kind of um, a lot of people use that, you know, train low, compete high strategy that, you know, don't have any caffeine then on comp day might ha- have more caffeine than they typically do. Do you, do you use caffeine like that for a deadlifting comp or for oh, a for powerlifting comp? Oh, definitely. Yep. Um, uh, for powerlifting, for sure. Like, yep. you know, you, you kn- the caffeine kind of gets you going and yep. um, um, definitely hypes me up. So. But everybody's different, you know. Some people um, stay clear. Yeah, some people but can't. Handle some it. people so can't again, can't live without it. <laughs> would you go off it for a couple of days before? Um, yeah, I would. I, I typically don't use like a pre workout every single day, um, just because you know yeah. you'd you'd build up a tolerance quite quickly. But um, yeah. I try to use a pre workout once or twice a week, um, heavy sessions. Yeah. Yeah, so there's not a reliance on it. And that's why I think people use it poorly. Is if they're a bit flat, they're like, oh, I'll just have some caffeine and make me feel better. When really, you read between the lines there, it may be just that they haven't eaten enough and they just genuinely need energy. So it's a stimulus, but the thing that's making the motor go is still, you know, carbohydrates and things like that. It just turns the key a little bit more to have that caffeine in it. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, it, ha- it has its place. It's a performance-enhancing aid, but it's not the foundation, you know, you got to get your, your, nutri- your macronutrients and everything like that sorted, for sure. Yeah. 
What are we missing, Sally? Is there anything extra that you wanted to add that we haven't asked you today or discussed? Is there anything important that the listeners should sort of know? I guess um, the one thing you kind of touched on was, you know, the difference between um, a few different types of sports. So maybe you could elaborate on the different strategies between, like, say, endurance sports versus power and explosive sports and what how somebody's um, nutrition might look different on game day or even just leading up to those kind of sports. Yeah. As I say, it's sort of just the energy systems will change. So the longer they go, the more oxygen is present, the more that they will be able to utilise fat stores more, whereas if people are high-impact sort of sports, they're not like especially anaerobic sports, powerlifting and sprinting, that sort of thing, they're not using up, um, you know, real um, carb stores either. That will happen in the... Uh, recovery phase, they'll still be accessing their their carb stores uh, because it's such high impact, they've done so much muscle damage, so their energy usage is sort of more in the recovery phase rather than that instant energy. Hmm. Um, So understanding the type of sport really does make a difference to how much you need, um, what your recovery strategy is like, as opposed to your preparation strategy. So I guess, if anything, it's just highlighting the um, the need to have a strategy to apply what you're familiar with eating to when you're having it based on what your competition is. And that doesn't mean you need to be an elite person, um, an elite athlete to have a plan. Uh, if you're a weekend warrior and you just want to, you know, try hard and do your best, you can still come up with a plan and have a plan in place to, to be able to do that. So you enjoy it and you feel well rather than just be like, oh, no, it's not important. It's, I'm not elite. Like, it's just a bit of fun. And then you, you know, wipe yourself out for the rest of the weekend because you're so tired hmm. you just nails yourself in your sport. So um, I guess that's probably also another key point is um, – you know, you don't have to be elite to have a nutrition plan. Yeah. No, we, we talk about that a lot here. We doesn't matter what level you are, whether it's C grade under 14s basketball, like Hal plays, <laughs> um, or, or you're the elite of the elite. Everyone needs a, a, a fuel and recover, recovery nutrition plan. And the underlying um, principles are the same, no matter yeah, what level of spot you're at. You know, and understanding these underlying principles rather than you know um, nitpicking the details is probably... The, the thing to know. Yeah, look, obviously the, the lower down in grade or whatever, the more social the, the competition is, you're not taking it as seriously, but you still want to perform. You're not going out there to lose. You're not going out there to perform poorly. Yeah. You still want to perform well and win the or game. Or still impact your health. Like yeah. To, to sort of have impacts on your, your digestion, yeah, increase injury risk because you're under-fueled and then you're trying to play dehydration, heat exhaustion, um, they're all things that, that can impact health long-term if you don't sort of think about them. Think about your conditions. Think about well, where are we playing this week? Oh, we're playing in that place which is really bloody hot inside. I'm going to sweat like pigs. So maybe I should increase drinking a little bit more. So it's really just having an awareness of what's about to happen to, to sort of um, troubleshoot for, for what might might happen as a result of that. So it's just thinking ahead and planning for it rather than getting to the day after and going, God, why do I do this? Why do I play sport? <laughs> so yeah. People react, not 
rubbish. Yeah, exactly. The better you perform, you know, the better you enjoy it a lot of the time as well. So, you know, if exactly. you're not um, paying attention to your nutrition, you maybe not giving yourself the best chance of even if you're just playing for fun. Yeah. Yeah. And look, any any listeners that want to find out more about sort of nutrition for your sport, I know New South Wales Institute of Sport where where Sally is a lead dietitian. They, they put out a lot of great sports and nutrition articles on Facebook and Instagram. So I encourage everyone to go and sort of follow New South Wales Institute of Sport. I know I check there regularly for um, sort of the latest nutritional updates and what's going to benefit me. So, yeah, go, go and follow New South Wales Institute of Sport. Yeah, with the competition schedule and what to do 24 hours out and what to do if it's a multi-stage event and that sort of yeah, you guys cover a lot of sports over there, so there's a lot of information for those sort of individual sports. Um, before you go, I wanted to ask, it's been a crazy, crazy year, and especially with the um, postponing of the Olympics, you guys have sort of, what's the correspondence been like and how, how crazy has it been for you guys? You're all sort of... <laughs> yeah, it was it was a pretty stressful time and everything was still up in the air and everyone's got an opinion on social media and everything whether they should cancel it or not but they don't realize that people's lifestyles and jobs and things were at the other end of it so mm. it was a welcome relief that it was to be postponed and not cancelled um and it's okay for me as from the the headquarters performance support team because a lot of the work that i've done with gary the other dietitian we can just sort of press pause on that, go back and reflect and review and, um, you know, fine tune it a little bit more. Um, it's the poor old athletes that I feel sorry for who have to do all that training again. Unfortunately, you can't just pause fitness. Um, you can't just, you know, cash in the training camps that you had to be able to, to get yourself to peak condition that they are at, you know, ready for trials and ready to qualify. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a hard ask for them to, to pick themselves up and to have to go through that, that sort of final year pre-Olympics again, which is a really hard year, but um, they're resilient people. So now that we know more, we can provide sort of a more specific environment for them when we do get to Tokyo. Um, so we can provide a sort of more specific and a better service. So hopefully it all works out for the best in the end and is a good um event for for everyone to look forward to to bring everyone back together again so you're you're in constant contact with these athletes sometimes daily are they a lot of these guys obviously still training they're doing stuff from home strength and conditioning and and cardio and things like that but a lot of them probably wouldn't have access to facilities where they can train in their given sport are they is that the case? Are they some of them like I don't know? Yeah, it's been quite hard. Uh, a lot of the athletes initially, when it all happened and the games were postponed, they just went on a break um, to, to just give them time to, to process it. So you know they they'd lost a, an experience, they'd lost an opportunity, they've they've lost a bit of their identity because mm. that's what they do. They train and they compete. Um, so there was a period of just grief and acceptance that they had to go through. So giving them space to be able to, to come to terms with that and get their head around it was the you know important first step. And in that time, we were looking at well, how do we set them up to, to get their environment. So strength and conditioning, they've all done a really good job with setting themselves up with really clever ways to be able to continue to train at home. It's 
the athletes, um, specifically the water sports with all pools closed, um, mm. probably the longest some swimmers have never been in a pool in their life um, because they're always swimming. So um, that's been tough for them because you can't just say to a swimmer, oh, we'll just go out and run as your cardio because that's going to do damage to them because it's not built that way. So um, not all sports are transferable to just... Um, you know, get them to, to ride a bike if they can't do something else. So it's been a challenge, but just trying to maintain sort of a base fitness um, to, to be able to have them in a position that when facilities do open up again, that they're ready to go rather than lose that time completely and have to start from scratch. Yeah, now all these different, um, you know, all these different sports, all these different energy systems, all these different diets, all these different caffeine patterns mm. like Sally's been talking about. And now this on top of it, you know, the unknown, um, these athletes, um, you know, it must be a tough time for them. But uh, I'm sure, you know, lucky um, they've got access to great people like you and, you know, the New South Wales Institute of Sport. And I'm sure you guys are steering them in the right direction with some great advice. And, you know, I guess you guys have to adapt as much as they do. Yeah. yeah. And it's been sort of a good time to revisit some base messages too about just emotional eating and water eating and how to prep like how to do the shopping and how to cook and um sort of just basic lifestyle skills that everyone's too busy to think about when they're training but now that they've got more time um they're at home more to be able to, to practice new dishes and to watch their parents or their families cooking to be able to learn from them so it's just trying to find opportunities that, you know, they can utilize now. So then when they do get back to training, they they know how to cook a meal in bulk and freeze it, that sort of thing, which is then going to help their training because food's more available and accessible. So um, it's trying to connect where they're at now with where they'll be in the future so they can understand it, so they can see that what they're doing now still plays a role in their performance, even though it's so different to how they're used to seeing performance. So it's connecting the dots for them that way. Yeah, it's definitely going to be an interesting Olympics and I think um, the country's going to do the best of the ones that have adapted the best to, to what's going on currently. Sally, I appreciate your time. I know how busy you are um, and especially leading up to the Olympics next year and all the athletes that you look after and all the amazing work that you do with the New South Wales Institute of Sport. So I just wanted to thank you for coming on today and uh, enlightening us with some information on what to do for game day nutrition. Thanks so much, Sally. Anytime. And we'll, uh, we'll chat to you again soon. All right. Look forward to it. Bye, guys. Cool. See, See ya. ya. Bye. Thanks. All right. That was cool. Yeah, that was cool. Who better to give advice than yeah, Sally? Exactly. Working with the Olympic team, got the call up um, to work with the Olympic team. So, and we we work very closely with the New South Wales Institute of Sport at Masashi. And I guess you know, early in the year when we met with her, she was about to go to um, Tokyo, and um, must be a crazy time uh, with all of these athletes. So yeah, yeah it, it, it's it's insane. Um, so I guess we've sort of covered everything in, or not everything, but uh, all the all the basics in regards to nutritional advice when it comes to foods what about supplements yeah i mean this is this is our game yeah so um what what are some of the supplements that people can use that can benefit them on game day what are the, what are the tried proven tested supplements I know there's so many out there well um you know we, we kind of talked uh, talked about caffeine and things like that so um 
a big go-to for a lot of athletes, including myself and, you know, um, a lot of everyday gym junkies is, is a pre-workout, you know, and uh, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Some people don't like caffeine and things like that, but, um, you know, there's few things that you can have that give you an immediate effect that you can, you know, realize that it's working. Yeah. And, you know, there are some super dodgy pre-workouts out there. You know, back in the day, there were pre-workouts with amphetamines and things like that in them, but... Not even that far back in the day. Not even that far back in the day. But, um, yeah, our pre-workout's legit. You know, I made it. Yeah. Putting that out there. <laughs> but, um, you look for good functional pre-workouts that are good good functional ingredients and don't rely solely on heavy stimulants. And I, I see it so much. And I'm not going to sit here and bag out any other brands out there because it's personal preference. Buy whatever you want. Some people want those amphetamines pre-workout. <laughs> Which, and, you know. Crazy. And look... It's probably going to increase focus and you're probably going to have a killer workout, but over time, it's going to have some sort of impact, adrenal fatigue, potentially. All, all kinds um, of things. You yeah. know, some of these supplements, you're not even sure what's in them. Um, no. Even the manufacturers aren't even sure what's in them. But no. you know, we, we we make our things um, very legit and all of our um, you know key supplements are in Formspot certified. Yeah. So, you know, pre-workout before, so it's a go-to for a lot of people. But then, you know, we have things like the intra-workout, which you can have during a workout. So uh, intra workouts, it's a blend of um, it's a blend of uh, essential, amino, essential acids. amino acids, electrolytes, um, some beetroot juice, and you know, you just one scoop in your drink bottle. Mm-hmm. It's a bit different to an um, a typical electrolyte hydration powder, where you know, it's these amino acids um, from protein. Remember, if you think about protein as um, you know a book, amino acids are like letters of the alphabet. So you know, um, you're not getting that um, digestive discomfort that Tally talked about by having a full protein meal. Um, you know, you're absorbing amino acids a lot quicker. Keep your amino acid um, levels um, levels sufficient during training. So, you know, it helps uh, prevent that muscle breakdown and um, helps support your recovery. Another another couple of supplements that I'm a big fan of is um, obviously creatine uh, because the effects that it gives, the research and the, yeah. uh, the evidence that we have that it's probably the most researched and tested sports supplement on the market. Creatine definitely a go-to for me it's it's super um effective and you know uh, there's few things that have um been shown to be such a good performance enhancing aid except for creatine you know like it's almost in a league of its own and it's it's something that you get naturally from meat but um typically most people don't get this kind of level if you're supplementing it yeah um also vegetarians vegans you may not be getting enough um, creatine in your diet um just because you're not eating meat um but um, I, I guess Sally touched on the energy sim- systems, which yeah. uh, maybe... Oh, it's probably a good time to talk about now that we're talking about creatine. It's, it's definitely... Uh, yeah, so um, another one um, in the family of creatine is uh, beta-alanine, which is another really popular one with athletes. And, you know, that kind of acts like a lactic acid buffer. So you, um, you uh, can perform a bit better in some of these uh, endurance events. Beta-alanine is so interesting to me. I, I love that supplement. And it's a supplement that not a lot of people... They might have heard of it, but it might be third, fourth, fifth on your supplement list, you know, of things that you're going to get. But for me, it, 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 it's awesome. Yeah. Um, and especially for sort of those sports that do go a little bit longer. Talk a little bit about beta-alanine because people don't know a lot about it. And I think it's one of the most underrated supplements out there. For sure. So um, beta-alanine is, um, it, it helps your body increase the level of something called carnosine. Um, which is basically a lactic acid buffer. Not to be confused with carnitine. No, carnosine. Um, so, um, you know, when you when your muscles are contracting, um, lactic acid um, is a byproduct of this, it's a byproduct of some of your energy systems. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Lactic acid has 
very important functions when it comes to muscle uh, function. But, um, you know, this is what causes your muscles to almost feel like they're not contracting enough. And, you know, these... So they're becoming uh, acidic. Um, yeah, so they're becoming acidic. So buffering this um, with beta alanine is, has been shown to, you know, have some performance enhancing aid by, um, you know, keeping it in this less acidic environment. Right. So, it's uh, so it allows your muscle contractions to continue. So right. Maybe, maybe we can expand on uh, energy systems and yep. muscle types because, you know, a lot of people aren't very familiar with these kind of things. Mm. So obviously you have two types of muscle, fast twitch and slow twitch. It, fast twitch type two uh, or slow twitch type one. It's not really how fast they contract. The speed is actually how fast they fatigue, right? Fast twitch fatigues faster. Mm -hmm. Slow twitch fatigues slower. So slow twitch is better for endurance training. Uh, endurance exercise, I mean. So, you know, um, um, running a long distance, things like that. Um, fast twitch um, is better for more power and explosive um, things. So um, I, I guess it, it really depends on your sport. And if you can think of it um, as um, almost like the gears of a car, right? So, you know, um, as, you're, uh, as you're driving a car, um, you know, in gear one, your aer aerobic system, um, you know, um, how the energy systems feed into this um, aerobic and aerobic phosphogen system. Um, it depends on the type of muscle you're using, right? So um, slow twitch fiber, you know, aerobic. So um, basically um, all your ATP demands, your energy demands can be covered by this muscle. So, you know, um, imagine somebody going on a marathon race, right? They're Do you run like that? Yeah, this, <laughs> is, this is how the last time I did cardio. This <laughs> is <how> I did. <laughs> no, um, but, um, you know, uh, all the energy demands can be covered by 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 aerobic system in your type one mu uh, muscle because you know it fatigues much slower. As you get into more powerful activities, like you know Sally talked about the anaerobic system, um, this is where um, you know glycogen and uh, glucose is m much more important because uh, this glycolytic activity um, you you need to release more ATP, right? More energy. Um, so the energy demands are higher because you know. Type fast twitch muscle produces a lot more force than slow twitch muscle, right? So, um, you know, if you think about a sprinter, sprinting isn't how fast your legs move. Sprint sprinting is how much force you generate against the ground, moving you forward, right? So, um, when you when you go into sprinting and um, higher intensity exercise, you know, Sally so talked about exercise that typically is less than like a minute's burst. Um, that's when your anaerobic and your phosphogen system come into play, and these release a lot more creatine than um, I mean, a lot more ATP than um, your aerobic system, right? And creatine helps to produce ATP in the body. Uh, yep. So creatine is fundamentally important for your phosphogen creatine system, right? The, this is your absolute um, um, most explosive system, right? But it has the lowest um, capacity, right? It, it'll only last for 10 seconds, like a 100-meter sprint, mm. right? Um, going below that, that's when your anaerobic system um, comes into play. Something for about a minute or so until... Uh, um, you know, you're, you're out of your ATP stores. Yeah. It's good info. Um, <laughs> well, so pro hopefully pro it didn't bore you. Uh, no, 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 it's exciting for me. It's probably <laughs> bored everyone listening. No, yeah. no, it's <laughs> super important. Um, so to summarize, game day nutrition probably is, is don't change things up too much is, is one thing we learned from Sally. Continue with the, the normal foods that you've been eating. Don't try new um, things on game day. You know, like yep. so many people just fall into that trap. Uh, and like we talked about, it's so easy just to try something, just to take it to the next level. But, yeah. um, you know, sometimes the risk might not be worth the reward. Yep. So make sure you're getting the right type of carbohydrates on the day of the game. And leading up to the game. N and leading up to the game. Not too much fiber on the day of the game. 
So um, fiber is good in your regular diet, but you yeah. know when it comes to game day, um, like Sally said, um, you want these carbohydrates to be absorbed faster, and fiber can slow that down. Yeah, approximately three to four hours before the event, have your meal, and light snacking before that if you feel like you need something else. Um, plenty of water. Plenty of water. Yep. Look at your electrolytes potentially based on how long your event goes for, and look to incorporate um, creatine beta alanine potentially pre-workout if you if you yeah. like that extreme sort of focus and energy and then obviously a good good protein yeah meal so you know, after the event yeah protein after or a few hours before like sally said you know yep. you want that amino acid availability in your muscles to make sure that they're not breaking down and um you know um recovering between exercises adequately so and Beautiful. what about fat i guess um you know fat on game day it takes a lot of energy to d digest fat so um, potentially could be avoided. I know there's a lot of keto guys out there and, you know, um, aerobic r respiration, which we just talked about, actually uses fatty acids as the main source. The, the keto but guys, though, are generally fat adapted. Yeah. They're not going to just go keto the week of their event yeah. and, and all of a sudden their, in their intake of fat just goes through the roof and they're, I don't know, you know, they're, they're generally going to be training weeks, months, years in advance and they become fat adapted. Exactly. So, you know, if you're training keto and you know how you respond to fat, like how Sally said, you know, if you're training like that and eating like that for training, compete like that. Yeah. Because, you know, then you know what works. And um, game day is probably not the best day to experiment and go keto for the first time. <laughs> no. So, like, let's use you as an example. You've got a uh, powerlifting, <laughs> powerlifting comp. <laughs> powerlifting comp. What, what are you eating? The meal before the comp? How far out? I religiously eat Subway before every single powerlifting oh, comp. Oh, jeez. Okay. <laughs> I shouldn't have asked that question. Well, um... What you do know, you get? Well, What do you order from Subway? Think about it. It's the bread. I'm thinking about it. The bread. The nice sweet chicken teriyaki oh. <laughs> um, protein in the middle. Is that real chicken, though, in that? Um, I don't know. It tastes good enough. It tastes like, <laughs> tastes chicken. like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. <laughs> And uh, uh, a little bit of salad in there. Like, uh, I don't go overboard on the salad, but, you know. So, you're getting carbs, protein, and a little bit of, like, low-fiber salad. Yeah. So, yeah. basically, it sounds like I've been doing the right things o over the years. But, yeah. Um, you know, my very first... Is that a superstitious thing for you now? It sounds like it's become that. Well, I, the first ever time I did it, um, you know, Subway was just my go-to, so I just mm. I just had it. And now, like, like Sally said, I don't want to mix things up. Um, yeah, you know, so I just stick to what I've been doing, and oh, I like me some Subway, even if uh, you know, a couple of times I had a powerlifting cup at a new location and hunted for a Subway nearby, <laughs> like it's always around. But don't judge Darren for his yeah. meal choices. I haven't competed in a little while, but you know, next time if I do, uh, we'll have some Subway for sure. And sub supplements? Supplements. Uh, I'm a pre-workout junkie when it comes to lifting heavy. You yeah. Know, uh, I just can't get to that level without um, pre-workout and some rap music. So, are you adding <laughs> any additional creatine or anything like that? Or um, no, well, typically I, I have creatine every single day. Right. Um, so um, you know, it takes a while for your creatine levels to get to where you need them. So yep. having it just before um, a game day isn't going to help immediately. You know, like um, if your if your blood levels of creatine aren't high enough. Same thing goes with beta alanine. You know, when you take beta alanine, you feel feel these tingles. You think it's working straight away, but actually. It, it takes about 24 hours um, for you to have um, enough muscle carnosine, like we talked about, this lactic acid buffer. So a lot of people do have it immediately before, but, you know, it's actually important to keep maintaining that level. What is that tingly feeling? Like a, a lot of people go, oh, I get itchy. Uh, what is that? Yeah, so it's called paresthesia, and it's yep. actually um, activation of some of your nerve um, endings. So, you know, you feel it in your extremities, your lips, your fingers. 
um, things like that. Um, we used to we used to prank each other, put it in our coffees and things back in the, in the lab. I've, <laughs> I've seen people snort it. Ridiculous. Yeah. What about you, jujitsu? What's your um, jujitsu game day I nutrition for a fight? Well, jujitsu for for me is mainly night times. Um, well, nothing changes for me. Do you ever have pre workout before jujitsu? No, I, I have. I load up only because I don't. I don't before jujitsu. In jujitsu, I like to stay nice and calm. Yeah. And breathe and flow. Equanimity. We that's talked it. About. That's <laughs> it. And uh, but I do load up on intra workout, which is all your essential amino acids. I put a little bit of creatine um, and some electrolytes in a water bottle. I sweat a lot during jujitsu, so I'm sort of just sipping. Definitely don't want to wrestle with you, <laughs> <laughs> mate. Everyone sweats a lot. You can't <laughs> avoid it. Um, yeah. So that's basically, it. and then I'm making sure that I'm getting I'm getting protein straight after. Electrolytes for me are important because I do sweat a lot. Yeah. Um, and this is a bit of a spoiler alert. Masashi's got a good electrolyte product in development coming out soon. Yeah, actually, we've developed this in conjunction with uh, one of our biggest um, sporting um, partners, which is the America's Cup Team New Zealand. Yeah. These guys are some of the most elite athletes on the planet, right? Yeah, whether you like sailing or not, these guys, a lot of these guys have come from different sports the, yeah. over the years. Like we're, we're talking Olympic cyclists and things like that. And, yeah. you know, these guys... The amount of energy that um, they're, they're putting out on the boat, like their training sessions are insane. They're getting smashed um, by the wind out on the water. And, you know, that actually Dehydrate. evaporates your, your sweat really quickly. So um, yeah. they, they actually really need to be on top of the hydration. So uh, we've worked with them to develop this electrolyte um, formulation, which is coming soon. Sneak peek coming soon. We'll have to we'll have to have a podcast talking about it, I think. It's a pretty cool product. Yeah. Let's uh, lighten things up a bit and look at some sporting events. How you been, Hal? Good. You've been quiet today. No. What, what's going on? You're over there coughing. <laughs> still still <laughs> getting over COVID. What you're talking about. <laughs> I'm fine. Okay, good. Good, good. So, what's been happening in the world of sports, Hal? Uh, first of all, we've had some new news since then, but um, the first article is about Mike Tyson being offered a million dollars to fight an Australian football trio. Mike Tyson back on the pads. Did you see it? I saw it on um, Instagram. The, the Tiger King is back. <laughs> Everyone is uh, is posting it. And he looks good. What is he, 53 or something? And um, there was talk. I think we spoke about it on one of the last podcasts. There was talk of him getting back, doing some training to do some exhibition bouts. But someone in Australia, I think a, a promoter that had worked uh, with Mike Tyson in the past, is um, offering up a million. But I don't think a million... Tyson wouldn't get out of bed for a million bucks, I don't think. But they're they're talking a fight with what Gallon or Sonny Bill Williams. It'll be interesting, but imagine no fifty-year-old Tyson. No disrespect to Sonny Bill and uh, Paul Gallon, great athletes, and uh, across multiple sports. But Iron Mike was one of a kind. A fifty-three-year-old Mike Tyson eats both of them at the same time. Yeah. Um, I also saw a bigger offer has come in for Mike Tyson. I think it was around twenty million dollars. $30 $30 million to fight in bare-knuckle boxing. I saw that, yeah. I don't know how true the rumours are. Oh. but Against Shannon Briggs, apparently. That'd be interesting. Yeah. I'd love to watch that. What, <laughs> Would you they, get punched in the face bare-knuckle by Mike Tyson for I was just, $30 million? I'd do it for a million. Oh. It's life-changing. Yeah, life-ending. Yeah. It could be life-ending. <laughs> what would you do? Uh, would you fight him for a million bucks? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I do anything. <laughs> You've heard it. Zero would do anything for a million dollars. I mean, what's a fight? It's, no, it's going to be over in five seconds, isn't it? Yeah. Look, yeah, yeah Gallon. Gallon, I think, is pretty excited by it. And he, he, 
I, I don't know why <laughs> anyone would be excited by the prospect of fighting Mike Tyson. Barry Hall's name's been thrown around as well. Barry Hall? Mm. Well, yeah. Well, probably a couple of other shit. There's a, there's, um, Everybody thinks they can fight. Everyone's divided on that, ba- that Barry Hall and um, Paul Gallen fight too, but I think Barry won that fight. Mike Tyson has a pretty, pretty um, awesome quote. It, it goes, you know, everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Well, that's true. We talk about that a lot in jiu-jitsu as well. It's like, because a lot of these sport jiu-jitsu guys sort of get complacent and it's just a game of jiu-jitsu, but they're not worried about getting struck in the face. Yeah. And you see a lot of jiu-jitsu guys, when they do get hit, their jiu-jitsu game goes out the window. Yeah. So, yeah, it's interesting. What, what else, Al? Yeah. Um, NRL players are being forced to sign a vaccination contract. Hmm. Darren, what are your thoughts on this? I think this is a good idea. You know, um, it's super important. Vac- vaccination is the greatest advancement oh. in medical history. So maybe antibiotics, but van- vaccination is very, very so, much. So important. what's the story? They're, they're footy's back. Rugby league is back. They're saying to everyone that to participate in the competition, you need to get a flu shot. No, they're not saying that. They're saying you have to sign the waiver. You're able to say no to a flu shot, but you have to say, sign the waiver saying I that th- you either agree to it or that you are not going to do it. But I, they're not letting anyone... No, they're saying everybody needs to get it. And I think it's because, you know, COVID um, is out here. And, you know, if you want to restart spots, you have to... You have to be on top of everything medically and put, put everybody in the best position they but, can. But to why? Why, why a flu shot when it's COVID that stopped the competition? Why, why are they saying, oh, you need a flu shot? It's got nothing to do with the current situation. Um, so, so what about previous years? Well, Did they make them all get a flu shot last year? No, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't part of the... Um, What's it going to do? It doesn't prevent coronavirus yeah so but, what's you know, the point the flu has similar symptoms you know you don't want you don't want players getting getting the flu and then you know as, as soon as you have flu like symptoms now you have to go get tested for COVID. look some some that va- i'm not anti-vaxxer so don't don't ring up and ki- kill me some vac. i get the flu shot every single year some vaccines are valid right and we talk All about this valid. we At talk about this but i think some are valid and some are personal choice yeah and i think the flu shot should be a personal choice if you are someone I spoke to my wife about this yesterday. We've been together for a long, long time. I don't think she's ever had the flu. So why would she, who has never, hasn't had the flu in what, the 15 years, 20 years that I've known her, why, why would she go out and get a flu shot now? Well, you see, vaccination doesn't work on an individual basis. It works on a community. It's this but community immunity, right? That's, um, you know, this is how measles has basically been eradicated in most of the world. Only America has it because people... Measles, I get. Polio, I get. These things, I understand that vaccinations are important. When it comes to the flu, I had the flu last year. The flu, but the flu is a virus out. that just evolves like other viruses, and there's many strains of it. So you, you know, it, the reason why it keeps coming is because you know vaccination isn't completely effective against the flu, but no. you're still giving the community the best chance of recovering. So if it's not completely effective for the flu, not why should people be forced into using it? Because it's, it's last for hours. Yeah. no. Look, it, it it's, it's not completely effective, but it stacks the odds in your favor. So it, you know, are you what are the odds? Uh, I don't it know. works for like sixty percent of people. Sixty percent of people is a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. Look, right. I, I think this is a this has been a big topic of debate, especially in the news at the moment. I don't think these football players should be prevented from playing I if they if they choose not to have a flu shot that has nothing to do with coronavirus. I think they should. For what reason? 
because the because the immunity is the immunity of the whole game of all the players that are in close contact with each other. You know, H- it's, it's Hal's winding us up, but we're just getting started. Yeah, Hal, it's not it's not an individual decision. It's for the greater good, the greater. But it should be an individual decision. If I, am, if I am comfortable that I'm doing everything within my means to build my own immune system and I am prepared, look, I'm taking this risk that I might get the flu, I'm confident that I'm going to build up enough antibodies as a healthy, fit, young athlete who is eating the right foods and making the right choices, I'm pretty confident that my body can get over the flu on its own. And guess what? Your body does get over the flu on its own. People, people die and people, people die, will continue to die from the but flu. But they're mainly 80 plus. No. So, uh, okay. I'll give you another example. So, say um, it's not an NRL scenario. It's a hospital, right? And you need to get a TB vaccine, right? Yep. Which is, you know, not everybody has. So, um, you know, what if you say, no, I don't want to get a vaccine because I'm going to build up my antibodies naturally. And, you know, I'm just going to, you know, be in this dangerous environment where I'm in close contact with people. But, you know, it's okay because... Like I said, some vaccines, I'm all what's, for. What's the difference? Not everybody dies from TB. Hardly anyone dies from flu. Thousands of people die every year from the flu. I get it, but not young fit athletes. Not young fit athletes, but you know you can easily give the flu to your family, just like COVID. You know, it's not about. So if you're saying it's compulsory for them, why wouldn't it be compulsory for the whole of Australia? Um, why just them? Uh, I think it's because of the close contact, and the, you know they're well, they're trying to. But get you and I are in close contact. Yeah, and I'm, I'm in close contact with all the people I roll with every y- night. Yeah. Not anymore. Yeah, not at the moment, but... But, you know, they're trying to keep the sco- sport going under the s- strict circumstances. Look, if it was a... And you're stacking the odds in your favour, so... You if know. it was a coronavirus vaccination, I'm all for it. So, I'm um, next in the news. <laughs> <laughs> we could probably go on all day, and I guess it comes down to... Look, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I believe in them. My children have been vaccinated. Um, the flu shot, I think, is, is optional. I... I but, I've, but get I've, it. I've but never, get it every, make I've sure never you get had it, <laughs> and I'm 140, and I'm fine. Next topic, Hal, before we uh, get too crazy with this debate. Um, the Game of Thrones actor breaks the world deadlifts record. Thor. This is crazy. The great Thor deadlifted 501 kilos. The mountain. Yeah, he beat Eddie Hall's record of 500 kilos. He made it look easy too. Did you watch it? Yeah, I watched it, and um, you know, um, he did it in home gym with you know, so he did it with the legit judge and things watching, but. Home yeah. gyms are harder. Less crowd to motivate you. You're just at home. You just probably got off the couch. Yeah, but, you know, it's not a competition environment. But uh, none of these strong men, uh, well, actually, Eddie Hall's on us. But uh, it's a bit different. I know it's a bit controversial, but it's a feat of strength that, you know, we've never seen before. There was 501 a kilos. bit of trash talking from him before it, too. Him and um, uh, Eddie. Eddie. Yeah. Do they not get along? Or? Uh, you should watch a little documentary on Netflix about it. <laughs> What's it called? Um the strongest something? Who's Eddie? Eddie Hall. Eddie so Hall. he's generally regarded as the strongest man in the world, but Thor might have that title now. Was he there? No, they're in At his home? <laughs> so they were just trash talking? No, Eddie Hall deadlifted 500 kilos. Yeah, right. But they were just trash talking. Like last year or the year before? Yeah. And then they've competed head-to-head before in strongman events. And so. Thor did 501 easily, yeah. a lot more easily than Eddie. He nearly died, didn't he? Yeah, and Thor, you know, he's done a lot of his training here in Australia as well, right here in Sydney, so interesting. Really? Yeah. Didn't know that. With you? <laughs> <laughs> what else, Hal? Uh, next, Jimmy Glenn, who was Muhammad Ali's trainer, has died at age 69. Age 89, yeah. Muhammad Ali's trainer. Crazy. Sad, sad times, yeah. You know, uh, um, Ali, um, you know, Ali... He, 
Parkinson's got the worst of him, but uh, you know, COVID in these in these day and age, nobody's safe. No, I know. It's um, hearing a few athletes con- um, contracting it now. Most mm. are getting over it. Most are fine. Yeah, some some aren't though. So yeah. Yeah. Anyway, you know, we don't really know all the complications and things that can no. affect it, but. Yeah. Um, no. What else? Anything else? Our condolences to anyone affected by coronavirus. Yes, obviously. Yes. On a more positive note, is Dana White. Dana White. Dana White. Dana White. Sorry, reports <laughs> that I'm never going to get that right. <laughs> you can keep saying Dana. Uncle Dana. Dana White reports that the uh, UFC that happened on the weekend with uh, zero attendance was a success. Yeah, I watched it. It was an awesome event. It's probably one of the best UFCs ever. Yeah. And it was weird without the crowd, you know. I liked it because you could hear the breathing. You could see which fighter was getting a bit, bit more exhausted. You could hear the shots landed. So you could see which shots were more impactful than others. It did take away from the, sort of the atmosphere of the, of the, the event. The crowd brings a lot of emotion into it, you know. And it does. Maybe helps some of those fighters dig deep. Like, you know, the end of the Cowboy and Pettis fight when they're standing blow to blow. And imagine how crazy the crowd would be, right? That, that was a decent fight. Yeah. You, it, it, and that's what I was thinking as I was watching. I was like... How crazy would the crowd be going right now? And it was just silence. (laughs) But I didn't mind it. It It's good to watch. It was a good event. The main event was insane. Yeah. Tony Ferguson is a zombie. uh, He took over a dozen shots to the head that would have knocked anybody else out. 100%. Justin Gaethje hits like he's got baseball bats for hands. And some of the shots he landed on Ferguson... Ferguson just kept marching forward the whole fight until right at the end. Yeah. When he was sort of shaking it off. And he still, still wanted to, you know, go to, go to the end. And, um, you know, he's got a broken orbital bone and everything like that. I just saw he tweeted some some samurai wisdom, you know, out here. <laughs> uh, Musashi always repping out samurai knowledge. But he, he tweeted, um, you know, um, Bushido code, the way of the warrior. And I don't know if a lot of people know what that means, but the way of the warrior is... There's a Musashi quote that goes, the way of the warrior is resolute is acceptance of death. So, you know, he was trying to say... He's willing to die in there. This sh- this fight shouldn't have been stopped. It looked like he was willing to die. It looked like yeah. he was going to die. That was, yeah, yeah. Gaethje looked awesome. Landed some heavy shots. Deserves a shot at Khabib now. I don't think they do the Khabib fight. Khab- I think Khabib th- and Ferguson. I think they give. I think they're going to give it to Connor. Nah. Don't reckon. Nah. Bigger, bigger fight. Nah, Gaethje. I don't know. They have to give it to him. He's got the interim belt. I guess. You so never know in this sport, though. It's Connor crazy. Ferguson, I reckon. That's the fight. What about Nganu, though? Oh, man. Insane. What, 20 seconds. He should be the champ right now, I feel, for heavyweight division. You know, Stipe's been a bit inactive, but... Stipe's been inactive. I think he's been injured. And then he's Cormier trying to get him to sign the contract for their trilogy fight. Nganu... <laughs> Nganu's punching a hole through time. You know, each punch... And we're, we're close to having three champs from Africa, which is crazy. I don't know how I feel about it. I'm a bit mixed on that fight on the weekend. Like it was just, <laughs> it was an overwhelming pressure and just this strength and veracity that just, he just annihilated him. Yeah. But his technique was terrible. Um, it looked like a, a 12 year old kid in the schoolyard, just winging punches with his chin up. He's lucky he didn't get caught on the way in. He, He's been lucky so far with who he... He fought some great people and he's beat some great people, but he's been lucky with his fighting styles. Quite aggressive and he leaves does leave himself quite open, but I, I just think people are just overwhelmed. Yeah. I think, and you know... Um, he only needs to land one shot and it doesn't even need to be his hardest shot and, and you know, you're the, gone. A lot of his criticism has been about his technique and, you know, his uh, how he sets up his 
striking and things like that but you know like mike tyson said everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face <laughs> compare mike tyson's technique to Nganu though yeah it is light years difference it's yeah but you know he's a freak of nature that his his physicality is just he's, I know. he's just a beast and i think that's what gets him through a lot of these fights is his physicality and not so much his technique and you know we talk about um the three things we always talk about technique physicality and you know psychology we saw him be psychology flustered in the past yeah psychologically flustered so yeah interesting to see where he goes from here brutal um Cejudo yeah Olympic gold medalist two division um champion in the UFC announced his retirement after beating Dominic Cruz in a controversial stoppage but look I think it was all right after when I initially watched that stoppage between um Cruz and Cejudo I thought no no Cruz is Definitely still working his, his way back up to the feet. Hmm. But then when you look at the replay just after he copped that knee, he's, he's, he, he looked gone. You yeah. look at his face. and I can it understand why the ref stopped it. And it was a good stoppage, I think. After thinking about it and watching it multiple times, I think it was actually a good stoppage. I know Cruz complained and he's come out and he said the, um, he could smell the, the ref had cigarettes and booze on his breath. Yeah. So he, he actually wanted to make a last-minute replacement of ref but it didn't happen so so yeah but Cejudo uh, do you reckon it's negotiation tactics I, I think it's a negotiation tactic but he did talk about potentially going to the next Olympics in wrestling because you know he's already got Olympic gold so why, why would yeah I guess that would just be for personal there's no monetary the gain legacy, yeah know, there's no monetary he's already gain got two in belts it. in the UFC two belts two golds something Cejudo would do yeah maybe, maybe. Yeah. I think it's a bit of a ploy he, he's at the height of his career. He's still relatively young. He's getting better with every fight. Um, not a lot of competitors left for him. Yeah. I, I think he should take a couple more fights. Cash in, get a new contract. I think Demetrius Johnson should come back and Ooh. <laughs> he's probably the only guy that. Well, he's would been have a once chance. upon a time, so, yeah. Listener questions, Hal. Have we got any this week? Yeah, I've chosen a couple juicy ones. Juicy. Uh, first from Max Stern. If I try to increase the amount of chin-ups I can do in one go... Chin-ups, did you say? Oh. Uh, should I be training with uh, weighted chin-ups or try to max out on my stairs? At the moment, I can do eight in a row, but I want to be able to do 15 to 20. So you can do eight chin-ups, wants to be able to do 15 to 20. Mm-hmm. So, so, to so he wants to know between weighted chin-ups or uh, max out on sets. And this is actually what he's asking is... Um, is this intensity or volume that sh- I should be focusing on, right? Um, you know, I think we've talked about in the past. Um, intensity, if you're just going heavy all the time, might not get you that far. I'll give you an example. If you can do eight chin-ups at the moment, um, imagine having a lot more volume and not going to failure. Say you can do eight in your first set. Second set, you might be able to do six. Mm-hmm. Third set, you might be able to do, I don't know, two or three because you're fatigued. But, you know, if he goes and tries and you know, breaks it down in a sub-maximal range before hitting this eight. So say he does five sets of four. Um, you know, like I said before, eight plus six plus two is what? 16? Um, okay, say six sets of four. Possible, right? Mm-hmm. 24 reps. 16 reps plus 24 reps. Now, All at body weight. Yeah. Um, so I suggest not going to failure and trying to get that Build that volume, you know, um, you know, it's like a like a basic strength training program, five by five. You know, if you're trying to um, trying trying to get strong on the bar, going maxing out all the time isn't going to get you there. Yeah, and I guess it de- depends on the individual. Probably chin ups is one of the hardest movements to to do. Um, it's probably my worst exercise, to be honest. I'm, oh, I I'm, love chin ups. 
I'm bottom heavy, um, legs yeah. and and ass and <laughs> everything. I'm bo- I'm very bottom heavy. I struggle with chin ups, so I can relate to this question. And it's a, it's probably similar. Like I want to be able to do fifty to twenty, fifty fifty to twenty, fifteen to twenty chin ups. And what I did, and this is just personal anecdotal, I I do a couple of sets at body weight, eight to ten reps, whatever I can, whatever I can get. And then I do another two sets weighted and I'm trying to get as many reps as possible. I'd start, I usually start with 10 kilos weighted, get as many reps out as I can. It might only be five or six. And then I might increase the weight again. I might only get three to four. And then I might increase the weight again and only do one. And that has helped my chin up phenomenally so when i go back over time when i go back and i do body weight every time the first couple of sets are easier and easier each time i think because i'm adapting to that greater load Hmm. so that when you go back and do your body weight chin-ups it makes a hell of a lot easier obviously like to get good and to do it you'd you'd want a full proper periodized program yeah but this is just anecdotal for, for me and actually, you know, a good way to do it is probably, you know, start with what I'm saying, this higher volume and progress towards that, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's actually, you know, re- replicates a lot of strength programs where you start with a higher volume, um, lower intensity, progressing towards a much higher intensity. But, yep. you know, um, the specificity of it, if you want to do more reps, do more reps, which means doing more sets. Doing more sets. Yeah. Um, what about, there's a lot of those um, chin-up, machines now what about doing some body weight getting as many as you can and then quickly jumping onto a, a assisted chin up at a really sort of light assistance level to get it squeeze out an extra few yeah i mean i guess that's another good way to uh, to overload but um another way for beginners is you know to do negative chin ups jump up to the bar and slowly um go back down and you know that's how because a lot of people don't have that initial strength to do a chin up mm. but um you know descending on a chin up is, uh, you know, almost anybody can do that. And you just having a controlled descent will, you know, get these motor patterns going and... Uh, Banded chin-ups or another one? some foundation strength, yeah. Yep. Plenty of variations you can do, but... Yeah. yeah. Any other listening questions, Hal? We have one from Alan Mora. <laughs> How many weight bigs? None. None? None. What's the most you've ever had? 16. What? Back when I was early 20s. And... Um, uh, I'm not a fan. I see wheat bix written into so many nutrition plans and programs, and I think there's so many better forms of carbohydrates to eat yeah. than wheat bix. I mean, wheat would be one of my lower choices for carbohydrates, and I don't know. I don't know why it gets written into so many nutritional programs. Hmm. Well, I mean, is it just an easy breakfast? I, I'd much rather me- recommend oats. Yeah, you know, um, than wheat. I guess you know, touching what Sally said before, try and get. Um um, higher fiber foods on the daily, you know, things like oats have a bit more fiber, yeah. significantly more fiber than wheat picks. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, on, on comp day, on game day, you know, how many wheat picks? Maybe wheat picks are a good choice. There are fast digesting, um, carb sauce. There's other fast digesting carb sources that aren't wheat. They're, yeah, they are, but I don't know. Uh, oh, sweet potatoes, certain <coughs> types of rice, much more easily digested. Better, better forms of uh Everybody has, has their preference, you know. They but, do. Uh, I'm, I'm not a weed picks guy at all. So. No. Uh, how many weed picks? None. <laughs> and then you got to pour all that um, milk on top of it, which is generally full of sugar. But if it's game day, that, <laughs> I know, that, but that's kind of what you want. But 
Yeah. yeah. Again, there's better types of uh, simple sugars that you can be having. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, how many wheat bicks? Yeah, none for me. I would, <laughs> I would never recommend. Never. Yeah, never. I'd have five wheat bicks. Every day. That's why you're... Maybe maybe we're doing it all wrong. Yeah. Hal's eight foot nine, so I'd rather have a banana. Yeah. But not for breakfast, I have it for dessert. Hal's a freak of nature, so you know, he eats eighteen protein bars a day in the office. Yeah. You have to lock them in the cupboard. So. <laughs> <laughs> Out of stock in here. No more questions, that's it. Mm-hmm. Anyone that wants to submit a listener question, you can do so at podcast at dot com. Or you can DM us on Instagram, Facebook, any of those platforms as and well. You get, get a free T-shirt. Free T-shirt if you leave a review as well and, mm. and submit a question. Mystery quote, Hal. Let's play. Let's play my favorite game. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest thing about tomorrow is that I will be better than I am today. The greatest thing about tomorrow is that I will be better than I am today. These are too hard, Hal. They're so generic. Who said it? Better than I Somebody am. that lost, clearly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hint? Very, very straightforward hint. Yes. Ah. Oh. Was that a... I couldn't tell whether you were swinging a tennis racket or a golf club then. Um, okay, I'm going to go Tiger Woods. Bingo. <laughs> Gave it away when he swung a golf club. Yeah. Is Tiger Woods, probably Tiger Woods is the only golfer that anyone in the fitness community knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have we got a Masashi quote, Darren? I know you've already brought up one Masashi quote, which is a record for you. Usually you're six quotes deep at this yeah. point in the podcast. Well, actually, I brought up two because, you know, uh, I brought one up when I was talking about Tony Ferguson as well. <laughs> That's right. I retract that then. So, um, yeah, this one's a really good one because, you know, it kind of relates to our um, what we've been talking about today. So, if you're not progressing along the true way, a slight twist in the mind can become a major twist. This must be pondered well. So obviously, you know, Masashi, if you're not progressing along the true way, a twist in the mind, you know, switching things up on game day, going back to that, that can become a major twist. It a, can. Sli- a slight twist can become a major twist. It's funny. I saw this a lot when I was um, doing a lot of competitive bodybuilding. Um, guys would and girls would diet for eight to 12 weeks le- leading into a show. They're eating clean as possible, frequent sort of meals, um, no cheat meals towards the end. They're getting super strict. They get in the, the shape of their life. You see them the day before the event when they're weighing in. They look awesome. And then for some reason, there's this group of, of I saw it more mostly in sort of, or most bodybuilding actually, there's a lot of guys that go out and eat pizza or they'll have a, a cheat meal or a junk meal the night of thinking that I'm going to get all these sort of extra calories in to carb myself up so I look fuller and on stage. I've seen that go wrong probably 95% of the time for people. There's the select few that it works for. But it's like, why change things up? Why not just, if you're looking to carb up yeah. for, and, and, and feel fuller for the show, why not just increase the carbs you've been eating? The carbs you've been eating for the last 8 to 12 weeks. Yeah, why all of a sudden do you need to go out and eat a pizza? So, you know, a yeah, pretty, good, pretty good example of um, exactly what um, Miyamoto was talking about all those hundreds of years ago, you know, a slight twist can easily become a major twist. Stay on the path, yeah. stick to what you know and what you've tested. 
Yeah, you know, don't take a new katana to a sword fight. And what if you do <laughs> want to play around with nutrition and things like that? It, it, it's probably best to do when you're when you're off season or when you're self training. Ex- self experiment and training. You know, yeah. you can. That's a, the best way to gauge it. You know, not when the stakes are high. You yeah, know, comp day, you don't want to roll the dice like that. You know? mm. Pr- practice self experiment outside of comp day, and then maybe you do discover things that do work. Yeah, I encourage people to to try different methods, but 100%. definitely not on the the day of you competing. Yeah. All right. I think that'll uh, that'll do us for today. It's a good pos- podcast. Interesting having Sally Walker from the Institute of New South Wales Institute of Sport and the Australian Olympic team on. She was awesome. Uh, it was every time we catch up with her, we, we're learning something new. Uh, we we do work very closely with with some Olympic athletes, and and we are the performance partner of the New South Wales Institute of Sport. So we do work closely with those guys. And we appreciate her coming on. Any final words of wisdom, Darren? No. Um, well, no. that was a letdown, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, no, no. I think I'm, I'm out of wisdom at the moment. <laughs> so, <laughs> You've uh, used it all up. Yeah, all used up. And no, awesome episode. And thanks, Sally, for coming on. That was, uh, you know, full of wisdom always. Until next time, we'll catch you guys soon. Yeah, Masashi out. Yeah.